Dose of Dog presented by M. Bark. Scott here, joined as always by Heather. Another great show is upon us. Don't forget to visit M. Bark on all of the socials. Details on doggy daycare and also plenty of classes as well. And uh, today, Heather, I know you want to discuss you know, one thing you guys do here is a lot of classes for dogs, various classes for various things. Something you touched on in one of the earliest episodes you did was Come When Called. And I mm-hmm. recommend people go back to that episode, scroll down the page. You'll get it at uh, echometownradio.com. Go down to the bottom of the page. You'll get that Come When Called. Yeah. If anything else, a little bit of a time warp. I'm sure we talk a little pandemic era stuff at that time <laughs> True. as well. But today, I know you want to touch on five mistakes to avoid when teaching your dog the come when called, the recall, as you put it. Yeah, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. So 1983, I think I stepped into the dog training world. So holy cow, that was a long time ago. <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of frightening to admit, isn't it? That I, I got my first dog in 1980 and then I, I started teaching classes in 1983, which holy cow, a lot of people listening perhaps weren't born then. <laughs> so I, I, I've been in this world a very long time and regardless of the methods, the way that I've trained, you know, come on called is one of those things that, that I always say there are pieces that, that you should train your dog that will save their life. And this is one of them. So I think come on called and staying put are just two things that are kind of life issues, I guess I would say that are just so crucial for dogs, especially come on called. I mean, you know, you, you think about the environments that our dogs are in, and it's just such a crucial piece to teach dogs. And so, but like talking about, you know, when I started doing this, you know, I've changed methods and ideology and philosophies and things over the years. And I feel like I'm now at a point where I have tried everything and I have found what is works the best. And even in my early days, I think that these pieces that I'm going to talk about today, regardless of you know, how you're teaching come on called. I feel like these pieces were always the pieces that kind of held people back from getting a good recall. So I hope that discussing these things today will help you create a better recall on your dog. And when I say recall, just teaching come on called. So teaching your dog to come on called. And some people call it something different. They might call it here. They might call it center or front or whatever you call it. Um, just getting your dog to come back to you is kind of what we're talking about today. And these are just, I think, Anyone that has ever come to me or to our teaching staff that wants to work on on really improving their recall, these are pieces that maybe in the past just mistakes that they've made and not mistakes that they they intentionally made. I think just things that we rush through training sometimes and we expect, you know, better outcomes without without actually kind of working through the steps. So hopefully this will help everyone kind of get a better recall and especially with the people that you know there's a lot of young dogs out there right now like a lot of you know COVID puppies as we would call them that aren't quite mature yet that I think we wanted them to mature really quickly and we can't force maturity on any creature (laughs) as we know it comes in their own time and so I think these are some mistakes that that we've made Um, and I've made them too my gosh along the way so five things so um and and I think you know, the, like I said, recall problems are usually the same. I would say most people that come to us, they're, one of these pieces is kind of lacking. So if you look at 
what their training plan was or what their their expectations are given the amount of time they've been working on this, it usually kind of boils down to the same things. So the biggest one that I think I see that we see a lot of the times is just raising the criteria too quickly. And what I mean by that is that you have you have put the dog in situations where you expect them to do the work and you, they haven't had success in the previous environment. And so what that the a good example that I can give you just from a my one of my own examples from a client is is so we we teach a class called Come When Called and part of the homework in the Come When Called class is and Come When Called is only 4 weeks long you know it's giving you really basics of kind of setting up a training plan to build success in one environment before you move to the next is really the big goal of that class so that you can take it and again it's only a month and so we start in very low distracting environments and kind of walk you through what the next step for your particular dog would be and what that would look like. So so what that might look like is so that we, we talk about, you know, the beginning steps of Come Uncalled. And so one of the assignments one week is you're going to go into the bedroom and you're going to have your dog in the bedroom. You're going to call them and see if they'll excuse me, if they'll come to you. Well, most people are like, okay, Heather, that's ridiculous. Of course, my dog's going to come to me in, you know, a room in my house. But I think it is an assignment, but it's more so just a kind of a explanation of you need to, to get success in this environment before you move to the next harder one. And so I think sometimes we will go from one step that we think the dog is successful with and then go to the next one and make a big, huge jump from like kindergarten criteria to, you know, a master's thesis without maybe putting the work in between. So this example that I'll give you is I had a client that, um, so we work through, can your dog come to you in a bedroom? Can your dog come to you in the living room? Can your dog come to you in the garage? And then we start to move outside. So then we start with familial environments around your house, around your neighborhood, and moving into bigger environments. Well, it was funny. She came back, you know, the next week and said, all right, Heather. So, you know, he did really well in the house. He came to me in the house. And then I let him outside. And then he just didn't come back. And I said, okay, so let's look at, you know, what, what environment did you put him in? Did we set this dog up for success? And she said, well, he did really well in the house. And then I let him outside. And I said, okay, well, what does outside look like? Like, explain that environment. It's 15 fenced in acres. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that is a big step going from success in the house, which like a reasonable sized house, to 15 fenced in acres with animals and sounds and, you know, squirrels and you know, spots in the yard where habitually there have been rabbits and, you know, a fence where dogs are walking by. I mean, that is a giant jump to ask a dog to be successful. And so that step, of course, that dog was not successful the moment we walked outside. So we had to say, okay, so the next step is outside, but how can we break this into smaller pieces so that he can be successful? And so we started with a six foot leash on. Can he come to you in the, you know, right off your back step? And then a 10 foot leash and then a 20 foot long line and then a 25 foot long line and then dragging the long line. And then, you know, working on he's 40 feet from you. He's 50 feet from you and, and really slowly building up success rather than making a really big jump. Um, and so looking at kind of raising what the expectation is of your dog to perform this in environments that they can be successful in. So really take a look at what environments that you're in. And I think 
not even the environment that you're in, but what is around that environment. So maybe, you know, you've worked through the dog's really good in the backyard and then, you know, you go on a walk and you practice there and then you go to maybe the space is smaller, but there's a lot of distractions. So you go to your neighbor's backyard, which is maybe small, you know, maybe it's like an eighth of an acre or fourth of an acre, whatever it may look like, which, um, you know, may not be small for it depending, depends on what you've worked through for worked through prior to that. But let's say your neighbor has chickens. Well, okay. The space is small, but Holy cow, the distraction's huge. If your dog doesn't, hasn't ever had success recalling around chickens. So think about that. So think about what, what are, what is a baby step that I can slowly put into to play that I can slowly kind of move forward with, uh, teaching come uncalled. And, Remember, a lot of you have young dogs. Their brain's going to ping pong around in that brain before that stuff solidifies. <laughs> and so you're going to have days where, you know, you have your 14-month-old dog and you ask them to just respond to their name and they look at you like they've never heard it before in their life. And developmentally, that's kind of normal. Um, I think sometimes we get really upset that they're not listening but we have to consider developmentally where are they and what work have you put into it. So, you know, on those days, you just go back to simple stuff. And then when you kind of have their brain, you go back and you you work on that again. So I think giving our learner the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they their hormonal soup, as two of my staff call it, <laughs> is ping-ponging or sloshing around in their head um, when they're a teenager. Because remember, as we talked about before, owner gravity fades, you know, five, six months of age when the dog starts to become a teenager, and so um, I think through, especially the, the teenage phase, you know, five, six months through two and a half to three years old, um, recalls are hard at that age. So give your dog the benefit of the doubt and make them successful. Long lines are amazing. Long lines are an amazing tool. So think about, are you raising your criteria too quickly and what your expectation of what um, response you're looking for in those environments? And, you know, our goal in behavior work um, in training, I guess the goal with a training plan is always 85 to 90%. I say 90% success in one environment before you move to the next. And that's kind of the homework that we give in a lot of the classes too. So, so number one, sometimes you've, you've, you've gone to an environment that's just too difficult that you haven't worked through before. So that's kind of, I, I think that's often the biggest mistake. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell people because they sometimes will say, you know, gosh, Heather, you know, my dog kind of responds in my backyard when I call them. Like they do okay. It's maybe 50-50. And then they go to their lake property or the cabin or the neighbor's cabin and they're like, oh my gosh, they didn't listen at all. Well, you're going from your backyard, which they have mild success at, to an environment that is a million times harder, that's brand new, and you have no success. And that's pretty normal. Um, I mean, until you've worked up to that, you're not going to get success. And then unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people use punishment because the dog isn't listening. Well, you haven't set them up to succeed in that environment. So that's not fair um, to punish them in an environment that they just can't handle that they haven't had success in prior. You know, that's like punishing your child, you know, your kindergartner because they can't do calculus yet. Well, of course they can't. They don't, I mean, maybe some of them can if you have a child genius, but they can't handle that. They're not ready. They're not equipped with the skills 
to navigate that environment. And so giving them the benefit of the doubt in that environment and saying, okay, so let's go back to maybe using some management on a long line and, and using that environment to maybe build some success. I mean, what a great space to be able to work on that skill. So raising criteria too quickly would be the first mistake that I see a lot of. Number two, they stop reinforcing come when called. And, you know, this is a question that we get in classes a lot. Like, gosh, Heather, when do you stop rewarding them for coming when called? And my answer is never. I never stop rewarding my dogs for come when called. You know, when they're puppies, I reinforce the heck out of it. And we work through all these environments. And then, you know, as an adult, I will out and about just call them for fun and reward them. But then when I do have to call them usually I'm calling them away from something. So I'm calling them away from the giant snapping turtle that lives on my property, or I'm calling them away from, um, you know, on, they're on their way towards a road, or I'm calling them away from the fence or whatever it might be. Of course, I'm going to reinforce that. They just made a huge choice to come away from something that was way more enticing than me. And so, yeah, I'm going to reinforce that forever. And, you know, sometimes I don't have food. I mean, you know, I use a lot of food and I'm going to reinforce the heck out of that. But sometimes it's then um, I'm going to throw a stick for you or I'm going to grab a toy out of the yard. I'm going to throw that for you or I'm going to play a game of chase or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I'm always going to reinforce it. And and it might not be in a way that I did when I taught it. So it might not be as we talk about in Come on, call, well, we talk about lot in classes, um, delivering food via fine dining, as we call it. But I'm going to reinforce the heck out of that. Of course I am. In that moment, when you call your dog away from something, they are making an excellent choice to come back to you. So is that worthy of reinforcement? Absolutely. And remember, your dogs are like the cognitive ability of a three-year-old. If your three-year-old you know, is learning the world and they make a good choice, I have never heard a parent be like, well, I'm not going to tell them they did a good job. Like, why do they need to know that? They should already know that. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, if you're building a relationship with another creature, of course you're going to reinforce it in some way, shape, or form. Awesome job. Belly rub. Treat. Game of tug. Um, a game of chase. So I'm always going to reinforce it. And I think this warrants looking at what do you have in your toolbox for reinforcement. And that is important, too. So, yes, we use food a lot. But we can use... A game of chase. We can use a game of tug. We can use a belly rub. We can use um, asking them to do a couple favorite tricks. We can ask them. There's a lot of ways to reinforce. And I think having a b big toolbox of reinforcers is so important because there are going to be times where you don't have a tangible reinforcer on you, on you to give them. So looking at your, what is your toolbox of reinforcement? What else does your dog like? In one of my classes, I give a assignment um, called Naked Play. I know everyone wants to sign up for that class, but <laughs> um, and one of their assignments is I want you to watch how your dog plays and, and what do they enjoy? Because observational data is so helpful for finding reinforcers that they enjoy. So what did you observe that they like to do? Because can we utilize that as a reinforcer? Um, so there's another piece. So, so they stop reinforcing. And you know what happens is that we call them because we need them to come away from something and we're annoyed, right? So dog come. And then we put them in the house. And then the cat's in the yard. Dog come. And then we put them in the house. And then we call them away from, you know, the squirrel at the tree. Dog come. And we put them in the house. 
And then what is the dog goal? Well, that's not worth it. Like the squirrel is infinitely more exciting than what happens when I come to you. And holy cow, yes, when I call my dog away from something, absolutely, I'm reinforcing that because they just made a choice to come away from something that is probably more exciting than me. <laughs> but I've built a reinforcement history to make coming when called so awesome that, of course, they're going to make that choice because it's it's always been such a good choice to make. So, um, so never stop reinforcing come when called. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's such a valuable skill. And it's it's interesting to have conversations with people because I'll ask them, what is something your dog does really, really, really well? And you don't even need to like, to like reinforce it all the time. And you know what a lot of people say? My dogs at nighttime, they know they get a nighttime cookie when they go in their crate or they go to their dog bed or they go on my bed. You know, they do it every single night. I don't even have to ask. But we're reinforcing that every single night. <laughs> and that's not an important skill. They're in your house. And do they need a nighttime cookie? Probably not. Do we feel good about giving it? Absolutely. But there's something that they probably do really, really well. It's very, very fluent in their repertoire of skills. And it's because it has a huge reinforcement history. So let's take that and put it onto their recall. Because the recall is something that's going to save their life. Um, number three, mistake. So the third thing is one of the things that I'll talk about is that they only use it when it's urgent. And, and that kind of goes back to my previous point about we... Sometimes we'll only use it when we need them to come to us, you know, so they're headed towards the road. There's a squirrel. There is um, a delivery person at the door. Um, there is, you know, something that we need to call them away from. And the only time we use it is to always call them away from something good. And so I want you to add it in just for fun. So in your yard and the dog is, you know, just walking around smelling something. Can you call them and take off running with the tug toy? And they'll be like, holy cow, the party just started. That's amazing. Um, and so <clears throat> if you only use it when it's urgent, it becomes kind of a bummer, right? Like you only always get called away from your favorite thing. So I want you to think about that when you call them. What does that look like? Like what is that? The history that you've created? Because if you're struggling with recall, you need to put the fun back in it. Um, you know, because if we only use it when we absolutely need the dog to come to us, then it, we're always usually calling them away from something that's very intriguing. So I want you to go back to doing games. And I'm not going to lie. We adults are not always good at this. Like, we're not always good at, like, going back to the fun stuff. But remember, we love dogs because they maintain that childlike characteristic their entire life. And so that's why we love our dogs, right? They're playful. They, they kind of maintain that their entire lives. And so they're really good at playing games. And so can you turn that into something fun? Can you just let them out and they're just like standing in there kind of doing nothing and call them and take off running or call them and then deliver like a giant treat or play a game? I mean, that's going to help improve their recall when you just kind of pop that into your world and make it super fun. So, so don't always use it when it's urgent. Add some like fun things and not even like in a training session. Like you formally said, okay, I'm going to go out and train and they kind of know you're in like training mode. Um, do it just for fun. Like call them for fun sometimes. Um, it's just kind of a good way to, to maintain that behavior and add some pieces into it. So that's my third suggestion. Uh, the fourth one, it kind of is very related to the first one that I talked about. But I think the downfall of us as humans <laughs> is that 
we have really big expectations of our dogs without actually putting in the practice. And with any skill that we are all really, really good at, like think about your life. And I want you to think about something you are really good at. Something that you, you don't even have to think about doing. Like there's just a feel to it. And you do it so naturally that you don't even really have to think about the mechanics of the action. Well, the reason that it's so it's so natural to you, it's so easy for you to do is because you have a huge history of doing it a hundred times and practicing it, you know, during a week or whatever the skill might be. Um, and so that's why you're good at it. You don't even really have to think about it. And so remember, we, in order to get good at something, we do have to practice and go through the motion over and over and over. And I think with our dogs, sometimes we, we don't do that in skill work. So maybe we've worked on a little bit of common called. And then again, like I said, then we go to the lake and we let the dog off leash. And then it's kind of a disaster. So think about, and I think this is humans in general, we have this expectation that our dog should do this. But if we have not put the practice time in, then we can't have that expectation. And, you know, the unfortunate part I see this in a lot for Come One Called is that people will have a dog, they want them to be off leash. They haven't put in the hours and hours of recall training that you need to do to get that. And then they get mad. And so then they want to punish the dog for coming, for not coming. And then they go to Walmart and they buy a shock collar and they're like, well, I'm going to teach them. No, you're not. The way you're going to teach them is you're going to practice and you're going to practice a lot. (laughs) If you want to get really good at it, you have to practice. And, and again, you have to work through the teenage months. You have to put them in a whole bunch of different environments. You have to find time to do the work. You have to make coming when called super awesome And let me tell you, it is worth every single moment that you spend teaching this to have a dog that has a really reliable recall. And so if you want a relationship where your dog can be off leash, you don't have any equipment on them, you have to build that relationship of coming when called is super awesome. So I think we have expectations that our dogs should just do this, but we haven't put the time in. And again, Anyone that does a craft that they're really good at, they don't even have to think about it. They just do it, right? Um, And then think about if you have to teach that craft to someone else, like the intricate little pieces you have to think about in the mechanics to teach them. Um, You know, my, my dad is an amazing woodworker. My mom's an amazing seamstress. And I know when they've taught me pieces... I mean, they have to, you know, as I grow up, grew up, they ha- when they were teaching me, like, you know, my dad teaching me how to woodwork. Um, I mean, it's breaking things down into little tiny pieces. Your hand's going to go here. Your right hand's going to go here. And then after you do this, your right hand's going to move over here. Make sure the blade is over here. When you hold this wood, look at where the grain is. Like, you're... You're working through something and you're, you're teaching finite, tiny little details. And that's what we have to do if you want an awesome recall. And let me tell you, it is worth the work. Holy cow, is it worth the work? Um, and, and, and to have that relationship, to be able to have them off leash with nothing on them. Like, I don't use collars. Like, I don't, I don't need to. <laughs> I, think, I think you don't need electricity when, you, when you've worked through it. 
um, when you have the relationship with them, you can have them off leash anywhere um, and trust that you've built that craft <laughs> up where you can trust your dog in those environments. And so um, it's so lovely when you're able to do that with another creature who doesn't speak English. So put in the work. It's so worth it. And it's such a lovely thing to be able to just say their name and they can kind of spin on a dime. So put the ex um, um, do do the work. Um, it's so worth it. And with any teaching skill, right? Um, and then the last one is just becoming reliant on food. And, and again, I love using food in training. I mean, you will never hear me say don't use food. But I think what happens is I call it the pocket hand. <laughs> so, and this is a mistake a lot of people make. And not just with come and call, but with a lot of things. But as they're calling their dog, they're reaching into their pocket to get food that they're going to deliver. So part of the recall cue becomes hand in pocket, food is coming. And then when you don't have food, you tend to not reach in your pocket. And the dog goes, oh, you're not doing that thing. And so, and this is kind of a a piece that I think a lot of people are unaware of. So I think, look at yourself when you call your dog. Are you, as you call them, reaching for something to deliver? Because that becomes woven into the cue of recall. And so if you don't care, I don't care. I mean, but if you want to not use food as a lure to get them back to you. We have to fade out your grabbing for the food when you're calling them. So what does that look like? That might look like you're calling your dog in the house. Remember, we're starting in the house, low distracting environment, pretty familiar. You're going to call them. They come to you. And the moment you come to you, you're going to grab a piece of food off the counter and deliver it. Okay, so it's it's you're not going to call them simultaneously while you're putting your hand in your pocket because then the dog sees if when the dog doesn't see your hand go in there, they're like, oh, never mind. And what we need is we don't need to lure them to come uncalled. We need them to do the behavior and then be reinforced for it. Now with baby puppy dogs, yeah, we'll do some luring. Of course we will. We're teaching them a skill. But we I want to fade that out really quickly. So I think um, fading out your lure um, and then reinforcing the behavior when they get to you is going to be really helpful. And again, this is kind of going back to... Um, my second point about building a reinforcement toolbox and what do you have in the toolbox to be reinforcing um, for your dog. So, so five pieces. So let's do a little review. So I think sometimes we raise our criteria too quickly. So we ask for too much too soon. And sometimes we have to back up, right? Oh my gosh. Anytime we're learning a new skill, we have to back up. Um, anytime I've learned a new skill, I have to go back and I have to go, wait a minute. What was I doing? Oh yeah. Okay. How do I do this? I need to look on YouTube. <laughs> I need to go back and practice. <laughs> you know, what, what, how, how was I doing that? I need to go back and I need to look at what I was doing. Um, I was actually teaching a new trick to Ridge last night. And um, Emily Larum, Kiko Pup, if you don't follow her on YouTube, oh my gosh. I mean, she's just an amazing human in general, Emily Larum. And her YouTube channel is called Kiko Pup. And I was working on... Um, dog comes in between your front legs and then their paws are on your feet. And I couldn't lure Ridge to get his front foot to touch my front foot. And I'm a dog trainer. You guys have been doing this, like I said, till night since 1903. I had to go back and kind of look like, wait a minute, how was her foot placement and her lure when she was doing that? So even I have to go back and kind of look at <laughs> um, like little pieces of the mechanics of things. So raising your criteria too quickly. Um, build your reinforcement toolbox. So don't stop reinforcing. Always reinforce, come and call. 
Um, you only use it when it's urgent. So again, pop some games in there because those are fun. It's going to build your recall. Um, high expectations um, w without putting in the practice. So put the practice in. Um, so worth it. If you're going to teach your dog anything in life, teach them like the best recall ever because it's going to save their life. It's going to help you with every single problem you could ever have. Um, and then becoming reliant on food. I think um, that pocket hand that we get used to, um, I think sometimes. And, and again, once you you can build a reinforcement or a, a toolbox of other reinforcers, we kind of can fade that out anyway. And there's a lot of other pieces we can use. There's something called the pre-mac principle. I didn't really talk about that today, but we can use that in our toolbox too. So think about your recall. Think about what areas you need to improve. Where in your training plan do you have to go back and say to yourself, gosh, you know what? I'd like to kind of um, build this up, tighten up these mechanics a little bit or build this skill a little bit. Like where in my dog's history can I go back and kind of build it? And you know, the good news is dogs can learn forever. I mean, if your dog's 11 and you're like, hey, I want to work on recall. Absolutely, you can do that. Um, dogs can learn. It doesn't matter how old they are. <laughs> they can still learn. So so this, this information today isn't just for young dogs. This is for dogs of all age. So go out and practice your recall, everyone. Thank you.